Welcome to the Pinelander Podcast, the official podcast of Pineland, broadcasting to you from an undisclosed location deep inside Pineland, where we discuss faith, family, finances, firearms, freedom, food, and everything else in between with those who believe in living free and living out the values that made this country free. Welcome, everyone, to the Pinelander Podcast. My name is Paul LaFaver. I'm here with my ranger buddy, Mike Blackburn. Today is Friday, the 19th of August, 2022. And once again, we're back in the undisclosed location. Uh, today, uh, we wanted to talk about leadership, uh, particularly uh, aspects of leadership that are important, and uh, maybe some things that we can avoid as leaders. I think uh, leadership is always, you know, no matter, no matter where I go, Mike, uh, talking to law enforcement, Army, Marines, uh, even the civilian sector, you know, the topic of leadership always comes up. Uh, it's, it's an important topic in the family, uh, in society. Uh, and so I think uh, an hour of our time talking about that's probably going to be time well spent. Yeah, they were, um, I think people are starting to realize more and more how important leadership is. And I, I think those of us that have spent time in the military, I think um, we take leadership for granted. Um, it's just pounded into us from the time we join until the time we retire. And then, you know, it's really becomes an integral part of our, our life and uh, how we do things. And we're constantly working on it. Mm. Um, I'm still working on it. Yeah, absolutely. I've been out you know, now almost 20 years. I mean, I've been out quite a while wow. and I'm still trying. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I didn't I, know it'd been that long. Yeah. I retired in 2004. So, um, you know, it's 22, so you can do the math, but, um, I'm still working on leadership. I'm still working on, um, how I influence others mm. and, you know, maybe not even just my family, maybe my children, uh, friends, coworkers, but you're, I think it's an ongoing, exercise i don't think you just get a class you know you take basic leadership blc bullock whatever you want to call it uh, pldc primary leadership development course i don't know what they call it now but they probably got a gazillion names over time but you, you don't you don't take um a class or a or a school a leadership school and then you're done yeah it's it's something that even though there's a a lot of definitions for it. It's it's a huge subject, so I kind of like where 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 you're going today, which is really kind of talking about some of the pitfalls mm. and things to avoid that we've all witnessed. I don't care yeah. who you are, where you've been, where you've worked, you've you've witnessed bad leadership. We've all we all get some of that, but I think it's it's equally important to talk about what bad leadership looks like. Mm as this is always talk about what we try to strive to be. Absolutely. Yeah, and uh, perhaps this could also, just to start off with a definition of leadership, uh, Socrates once said, uh, um, wisdom is the, the beginning of wisdom is the definition of terms. I think that's true. Uh, fear of the Lord is also the beginning of wisdom, but uh, leadership is, as, uh, as the Army's a, uh, ADP, Army Doctrinal Publication 622 says that, 
Leadership is the process of influencing others, uh, providing purpose, direction, and motivation uh, to accomplish the mission and to better the organization. And so, you know what I really love about that definition? Definitions are so much fun, aren't they? I mean, it's important to define our terms. Words mean something. Uh, and, and so the first, uh, you know, first thing you think of is, you know, leadership is influencing others, as you said. Uh, and I mean, just the, the short answer is you never arrive. So we can't just take, you took a course, okay, you're good, you arrived. That doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this is the beginning of, uh, you know, learning how to be a leader, learning how to be effective, learning how to influence others. And uh, also, I like this, how we provide purpose, direction, and motivation. It's very Aristotelian. Uh, what I mean by that, if you don't know, guys out there, is, uh, you know, Aristotle wrote a book, uh, uh, the Art of Rhetoric, All right? In the Art of Rhetoric, and rhetoric is just, you know, being skillf- skillful in your in speech. But uh, he outlined uh, three drivers of persuasion uh, that, you know, we could go off on a long tangent, but it really it, it's uh, ethos, logos, pathos. It just means the ethical argument, the logical argument, and the, uh, the emotionally in-tuned argument. Uh, and so just the idea of bringing that up is to show that, you know, influence uh, is more than we may think it is. Uh, it has uh, an ethical background where you are, you look like a, a leader, you dress the part, you look professional, and then it's logical. You know what you're talking about. You know the doctrine. You're using the correct lingo. Uh, and then you are uh, emotionally intelligent and uh, switched on so you know how your words are received. So just, just a quick, you know, uh, shot off the bow across the bow. Uh, so we, we look at those three drivers persuasion. And then the idea is leadership. Uh, the purpose is to you know, accomplish the mission and to better the organization. And so having said that, I think some leaders that I've run into, uh, they kind of blow it on the, you know, the influence, right? They may get their words correct, uh, but they usually are not emotionally intelligent, right? They come across wrong and they don't even understand. They're just emotionally uh, defunct. You know, they don't know what, that people don't understand what they're saying or they're just coming off so, so crotchety, right, that uh, people just don't can't um, fit. Their words don't fit the situation. They're, they don't uh, think about are people listening or not. They don't look at their choice of words, their tone. None of those things are considered. Uh, and then let alone, uh, of course, you know, how are they connecting? Are they, are they connecting with those who are, fo- are people actually following them? Do they look back to see is somebody file, following them in the file? Yeah, I think I, th- I think connecting is like a, a key thing you, you said there because um, I've, I've listened to quite a few very intelligent um, orators, um, good with the words, you know, slick, um, you know, saying all the right things. But you, you get a, a feel for them, whether they're, you know, are they of one mind with the audience? And if they're not connecting, if, if, if you don't really feel like this person is, if they're just talking and not, not really, you, you can tell if someone means what they're saying. And if it's, if they're motivated by the same things you're motivated by, if you don't have that kind of connection, then you're just listening to a, a skilled orator. I mean, you're, mm. 
you're not listening to someone who's really moving the crowd, a leader within the crowd. Um, you're just listening to a guy that's that's polished. Yeah. And I think that connection is all, has got has got a lot. I didn't really realize that until much later, I think, in my life is that does this guy really care? I mean, mm. um, or is he just is he just uh intelligent and you know, really good in front of a crowd, you know? Yeah, it's it goes beyond being able to uh, you know, talk well. So I've known uh, a lot of guys that talk very well, uh, but they don't have, uh, you know, like I was saying, they don't look back in a file to see if anybody's following them. You know, leaders have followers. And, and, I, and yeah. I've had leaders that, um, you know, I'll be straight up, straight up honest with you, weren't that intelligent. Yeah. And I've had leaders that I'd follow to hell that yeah. were not very well-educated, were not, you know, schooled, didn't have a, you know, four-year degree or whatever. But man, I tell you what, when they talked to you, you knew they they meant yeah. what they were saying. They were willing to um, throw themselves on the pit, so to speak. You know, they were they were going to die on the hill that they were fighting, and you yeah. knew that about them. Yeah. And sometimes that that's sort of contagious. But I think that has a lot to do with the pathos, right? I mean, mm-hmm. but you know, they were able to connect in other ways, you know, emotionally. You know, but you knew it's like, hey, I'm following this joker. I mean, I agree everything he's saying, even though it's not, you know, it's Absolutely. not real, it's not real polished. You know, it's not a lot of big words, but you know, this guy was real. Yeah. Uh, so just kind of uh, segueing from that last thing you said, uh, you know, not not being polished, but uh, having that emotional investment, you know, with their followers. And then the other thing is uh, uh, knowing that they're responsible, right? That idea as a leader is, uh, I mean, that's that old adage that we have, you know, uh, a squad leader, right, is responsible for everything the squad does or fails to do. Now, you can just fill in that, you know, title, team leader, squad leader, toon sergeant, uh, team sergeant, uh, detachment commander, whatever. Uh, You're responsible for whatever that team or detachment or whatever platoon does or fails to do. And so maybe at this point we can get into the acronym blemish. Uh, so I have uh, identified uh, seven pitfalls of leadership. And I think, you know, are there more? Of course, of course there are more. Uh, and I, I've identified these seven because I've witnessed them firsthand. Right. Uh, I've been in a really good unit. Just kind of paint the picture here. You, you're, you worked hard to get to where you're at. You love your job but you hate your boss. And it's because of one of these reasons. And so you really have, you may not quit your job, but you're tempted to quit your job because your boss. And that's the, that's the problem. And by thinking in these ways, we could avoid these pitfalls and be better leaders. I mean, that's really the, the long and short of this. Yeah, I think it's, I think, um, at least while I was in the military, always talking about, like you said, you know, the things you need to be right? Uh, to be a good leader, all the positive attributes and character traits that you're supposed to be uh, working on. But I don't think anyone will sit there and say, hey, these are things that you want to avoid. So I think this would be very useful. Yeah. I wish I had gotten this when I was, uh, you know, young yeah. E5, buck sergeant starting out. That's uh, really, that was the impetus behind writing Tactical Leadership. So our listeners, this book, uh, Tactical Leadership actually has, this is chapter one, uh, we're just kind of expounding upon uh, a portion in the book. But I think this has resonated with a lot of people. We want to do a podcast on it. 
and just talk a little bit more, kind of an expansion of the book, if you will. But uh, so blemish, here's the seven pitfalls of leadership. The first one is blame shift. So we talked about uh, responsibility. Uh, well, a blame shift uh, pitfall is a toxic leader that really just blames others to cover up their mistakes. Uh, and so this could be uh, the guilty can remain nameless, but we did have a commander in an SF group uh, that um, they came up short on some items and he conveniently used the fall guy uh, for those items. And it turned out to be disastrous, the fallout of that. Uh, but it was, that's probably one example uh, someone else who's not responsible for those items that but by virtue of uh, being rear debt or something like that ends up eating that. Now, it's just it's, one example. And I know it's a coincidence because, I mean, blemish is a cool word. Um, and you needed, you know, the first one to be blame shift. Yeah. But I'll be honest with you. I, I, I don't think it's an accident either that's number one. Yeah. I think this is the one that you see in a lot of people. I mean, this is like, it just seems like this is like a lot of people's first go-to uh, character deficiency. Yeah. You know, if, if no matter what it is, they've always got a reason or an excuse yeah. why, you know, they didn't perform or do something right. Right. It's in, uh, I think it would be, at the ground floor, this is indicative of an integrity issue. Right. Someone has a, a uh, their moral compass isn't pointing the, the right way. You know, it's off. You know, it's got declension. You know, they, they, their default setting is to just protect their own butt and they would conveniently use somebody else. Right. Uh, because this is also the person that uses, that sees their team, detachment, platoon, as a stepping stool to go to the next whatever. Right. They want to be a 10-star general and, <laughs> or whatever. I'm picking on officers here. There could be, no, could, you know, yeah, an, I've seen e, plenty an of E14. Right, an E14. Right. Right. Uh, and, you know, that doesn't exist, of course. But uh, the idea is they, they won't stop at anything. Right. You know, their uh, hypocrisy and their integrity violations know no bounds. And they will, they will find someone to fall instead of them because really they fail. I think they fail to take responsibility. Yeah. That's really what it is. And then um, somebody with this type of, uh, you know, uh, tendency, uh, I mean, this is a serious character flaw. You know, uh, going to... Uh, just speaking from uh, as a former and active instructor out of the Q course, uh, when we had somebody go through SUT and we saw this, you know, somebody that didn't want to, they just, any, anything they did wrong, they had a convenient excuse. It was like they could quick draw this excuse pistol and they could see They were it. always ready. They, were, it, they always you know, had a, something. Yeah, yeah, and that's the, that's a huge red flag. Yeah. And of course, um, you know, we sit around and, and wonder, didn't anybody else see this for the last yeah. six to eight months? Um, yeah. Because when you start seeing it out there where we see it, I mean, you know, that's really troublesome. But Yeah. Uh, and you've got, you know, you take uh, your food away a little bit. You take some sleep away. And then some of these issues come out. That's true. And, that, and so this is, uh, but the idea with, uh, uh, you know, I think the overcoming this is just remembering, you know, if you have a tendency, look, all of us, I think at the core, we want to be lazy. Okay. Uh, I mean, the bad part of us, our sin nature is to look somewhere else and go, 
it doesn't come natural. I mean, because kids do this. Little kids. They go, somebody else did it. No, and what, you know, of course, what we're always taught is, um, and I think you, you know, you said it correctly um, a little while ago, and that is responsible for everything your unit does or fails to do. So, you know, the opposite of this, which is really what you have to, to, to work at, is even though you may not be directly responsible, if you are in that position and you are responsible for everything that your subordinates are doing underneath you, then you have to take responsibility for it. You have to own yeah. it. And then you got to get in there to your team and try to figure out what went wrong yeah. and fix it so it doesn't happen again. Yeah. But you see less and less of that today where people are like, uh, yeah, got it, my mistake, let me fix it. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't see that. That's a, that's a rare quality. But when you see it in people, it's, it's, it's certainly uh, yeah. refreshing. Yeah. And I think uh, the way this is supposed to be done is you build trust uh, with your subordinates. And you have to be able to trust them. And trust is a two-way street. And then so you give them that leeway to do X, Y, Z. Look, NCOs, uh, for the officers listening, uh, NCOs uh, gravitate to soft because they want to be treated like adults. So they don't want to be told what to do and how to do it. And, and uh, you know, no soldier really wants that either. And so the idea is uh, you have to build trust uh, in a unit. You have to build trust with your subordinates. And then you have to actually trust them. So when, but when it goes bad, you know, well, then you got to own it. Yeah, that's good. the idea. But uh, so that speaks, I think, uh, volumes. Uh, but second one, lackey. So I'm just looking at our time here. Uh, time is always our biggest enemy, but <laughs> lackey, right? So what is a, a lackey? That's just kind of an older word. I reached back, uh, you know, a few decades, but this is a people pleaser. This is a bootlicker. This is someone who... Your, your yes man. Yeah, this is your yes man. Uh, this one is, this person is toxic because they're uh, people pleasing leaders. Uh, they avoid confrontation. Uh, they won't stand up for their troops. Uh, and they're, they... It's for the sake of popularity. They don't want to, um, you know, uh, they, they want the confidence. They want to gain that. Uh, they want to gain respect in the wrong way. They're, well, Maybe they're, that's it. <clears throat> yeah, their focus of their loyalty is directed in the wrong direction. Yeah. Um, you, you know, obviously you have a boss. I have a boss right now um, that I do some part-time work for and I absolutely love this guy. And the reason why is because he's always telling his boss what he's not going to do. And it's because he understands um, us and he understands the the team and what the team's capabilities are and aren't. Mm. Now, does the boss want to hear that he's not going to do it? No. But, you know, he's willing to, he's not going to set the program up for failure and have us jumping through hoops um, for something that is not going to get um, performed at the standard that it ought to be. And so, you know, he's he's able to tell his boss, um, no, and this is why. And I really respect that in a leader, and I think all of us do as subordinates, when our leader is able to speak truth to their boss and not sacrifice the subordinates in order to just please their boss and, and, and move up the ladder like you were talking about. He yeah. understands that we're not here uh, to make him look good. Mm -hmm. He's 
in a position to take care of us and to make sure that the program is doing what the program is supposed to be doing. Because right. that is how he's actually yeah. taking care of his boss. Right on. Yeah, so uh, when I wrote this and when I was thinking th through this, uh, I saw this as uh, lackey as reciprocal to blame shift, right? Yeah. Uh, this is, uh, the idea is, I, I think that if you put this, uh, you turn this on its, on its head, you really have the uh, 11th principle of leadership, that is, which is to employ your team according to its capabilities. Exactly. Uh, so if you say, well, you want us to do X, Y, Z, you know, we don't have, you know, it's not like you're finding a way to say no, but you know your team and you say, I'm not sure if, if we can do that. Yeah. You know, and you're, and you're thinking about saying, you're not just trying to find a way to say no, but you know your team and you're hesitant to say yes. You know, you can even say that uh, that may not be the best use of your team or into, you know, it's it's the leader that's it's a hard. This is probably one of the harder ones. Yeah, but, but I think when it's when you've got a good leader who's can, not a butt kiss. Yeah, I mean, you can you, love you can you can you can put this at any level you want. I mean, um, and you told the story about if your, your mom, uh, yeah, your was, team sergeant. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. I mean, he was I mean, a prime, this, this yeah, he guy. Was, yeah, Don, what was yeah, his name? Dan Holloway. He, he was a yeah. prime example of that. I mean, the guy had a set of stones. but Yeah. You got to have a set of stones, though. But here's the deal. I mean, uh, <laughs> even your mom and dad, okay? Yeah. Um, you know, you, you can't tell me that if your mom or dad is always going, yes, 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 every time you're asking for something, that that's a good parent. Yeah. So it's really the same concept. I mean, when your parent tells you no, it's it, there's a reason for the no. You know, it's because no needs to be said. I mean, it, yeah. in my opinion, I think yes is in a much easier stance than no. No mm -hmm. takes some discipline. It takes some, it takes some courage. It takes some intelligence, yeah. because it's not shouldn't just be no, but it also should be no probably followed up with a reason. You know yeah. why? So that uh, it's also a teaching moment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so egotistical. Uh, following along in the uh, the acronym, egomaniacal. Yeah, egomaniacal, egotistical. Uh, so this is a uh, you know conceited, uh, self-absorbed, self-centered person. Uh, now this one, I think I've seen probably more of these. Uh, if I could just throw out like percentages, uh, you know, I would say this is at least half of the toxic leaders I've seen. Uh, uh, these guys, let me just kind of paint the picture here. So this is a guy that uh, can take credit for someone else's success, right? Yeah. He'll ride the wave of success, uh, but uh, is not uh, the guy that would actually, you know, say, hey, you know what? I would like to take credit for this, but it was really, you know, person X, Y, Z that we really need to recognize here. Or, or even the guy who is able to see everyone else's contribution to the effort. Yeah. I mean, I think it's very easy sometimes to know what we are contributing yeah. and how hard we are working individually. I think sometimes it takes a little more maturity to kind of look around and go, there's a lot of other dudes around me that are, you know, putting their effort into the pot. Yeah. You just said the big, uh, the big buzzword maturity. So, I mean, the opposite of this is a guy that's mature who knows? It's, so I'm just I put myself out on the on the limb here, and you can saw it off. Uh, so my first six months as a team sergeant, uh, I was kind of this guy. 
you know, I've t- I told uh, people what to do and how to do it. And, uh, you know, people, they don't like that. People don't like to work under that. They want to use their brain. They want to use their creativity. And I was just looking at, hey, let's just make things awesome. And I forgot that, hey, uh, people that gravitate to soft, they want to be treated like adults. And so basically I had to have another guy, uh, you know, just say, hey, man, you are screwing up royally. You know, you guys love you, but you're, you're, uh, you're, you're being toxic, you know? Yeah, one of the one of the problems, of course, that we we see often, at least in special forces. I'm not going to talk about other branches of soft because I'm, I'm not familiar. But in our branch, um, you know, team sergeant might be the first leadership position that a guy sees. Yeah, and that's very late in the career. Okay. Yeah. Um, other than very minor leadership roles over others that you might be training or what have you. Um. But I think that's probably normal for anybody that is in their first or second leadership position is I think you have a tendency to rely on your own abilities Mm -hmm. uh, first and foremost because you you trust those. And so I think it's very easy to become a micromanager. God only knows I was when I was a young NCO, okay? I mean, you know, the first leadership style is, you know, barking orders, right? Right. Um, and then you start realizing that a lot, there's a lot of talent around you, but that takes a little maturity and some experience to, to start utilizing um, the tools that are around you and all the talent that's around you. Absolutely. So I, uh, you know, I could have learned, um, there just wasn't any team certain schools. Okay. <laughs> right. So it's like tag, you're it. You made three up, three down. Here you go. Uh, but that's something I had to learn the hard way is to be a talent scout. Like, Okay. You know, and then also, uh, I may not have the best answer for every problem. Uh, I may not have the best solutions. Somebody else may have that, and that's okay to have enough maturity and say, you know what, I don't have, uh, this other guy came up with the awesome answer, and it's not me, and that's okay. You know, and that's, a lot of people aren't willing to do that. Uh, You know, someone else comes up with the awesome answer, and they feel slighted. Or because they have, you know, mouse balls, pardon my expression, and they, uh, they, you know, they, they're just so inferior. They feel they have an inferiority complex or something like that, and this is their overcompensation where they have their egomaniacal, uh, you know, streak kicking in to be toxic. I just, I guess what I'm saying is perhaps egotistical leaders really are insecure, and they oh, don't absolutely. really know who they are, and they're afraid. They're really terrified of being a leader anyway, uh, because if they— There's a lot of responsibility, yeah. and like I said, I think it's it's typical for uh, new leaders um, to learn those lessons. Yeah. I don't think there's any other way to learn them except just to do it. Yeah. And then in hindsight, you look back and you go, man, what a, what a prick I was, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think that happens. It does. I, don't, I think that's completely normal. I think for people that um, are trying out leadership, just be aware of that. Yeah. And try to work through it as quick as you can. Yeah. So the opposite of egotistical is uh, not be self-centered. Right. Know that uh, you are a leader, but you're also a member of this team, and that everybody else is, uh, you know, can have some awesome sauce that can be brought uh, to the table, if you will. Uh, micromanage. Right, so this is probably uh, this has got to be up there, you know, high percentage. If we could just talk about, uh, 
you know, if you put percentage wise, I would say micromanagers uh, are those toxic leaders, you you know, probably half, half of all bad leaders, maybe, maybe. But uh, well, that's insecurity, too. I mean, I think it goes hand in hand with um, uh, what you were talking about, which is, you know, I think people that micromanage is because they have a really hard time trusting the fact that the way they want this thing to look is not going to get achieved unless they're doing every aspect of it. Yeah. Um, I think I misspoke earlier too. I probably should have, my little vignette would have felt, you know, into this category a little bit better now that I'm thinking about it. Well, I think, no, I, I honestly, I'm glad you have them three and four. And again, you know, the word blemish is cool, but it's also kind of working out really nicely because I think, egotistical, egomaniacal, uh, and micromanager do go hand in hand. Yeah. And sometimes you have like uh, somebody could have, you know, all three of these things. They could have, <laughs> you know, a slew of these issues. Uh, but, yeah, micromanager, uh, you know, I've, we've all had that guy. Oh, uh, God, You know, yeah. uh, any job worth doing uh, is, you know, worth doing well over your uh, subordinate shoulder as you do it for him, you know, something like that. Yeah. There's a couple, <laughs> that's a joke, by the way, you don't want to do that, but there's a, there's a couple things about micromanaging too, that I don't think that leaders realize. I mean, obviously it's bad to be doing it. It's going to wear you out. Um, cause there's time that you can be devoted to other tasks that are, uh, more in line with what you should be doing. But the other thing too, is you're not developing subordinates when you're micromanaging them. Exactly. And the other part too is, um, you know, your subordinates want to be able to take ownership on their tasks. They want to be able to show it at the end and say, "Hey, this is what I did for you, boss." And then you go, "Man, I tell you what, that was that was awesome." So, yeah. you know, you're 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 really stealing the show, um, yeah. especially if they're doing all the work and you're kind of coming in there and just thinking that you're the one that it that's actually doing it. Um, and I think you're taking a lot of the credit away from the folks that are actually, you know working their butt off for you, trying to trying to put out a good product. Yeah, this may not fit uh, the best, but uh, what came to my mind here is uh, something that T.E. Lawrence says in his 27 articles. Uh, and, you know, you know, if you don't know who uh, T.E. Lawrence was, Thomas Edward Lawrence, Lawrence of Arabia, basically says uh, it's better for the Arabs. And he was uh, an advisor to the Arabs at the time fighting the Ottoman Turks. He says it's a, it's a, Better for the Arabs do it tolerably than you do it perfectly. Absolutely. So, I mean, if you follow you're not the developing. logic here. Yeah, you're yeah. not developing them. And you can't be everywhere. So there's a span of control with leadership that's usually stretching out to like five tops. I hate, to to, six. hate to say yeah. this, but I know myself, um, some of the best things that I've learned in life have been as a result of failure. Yeah. Um, so as a leader, sometimes it's if you can afford it, it's not a problem for your team to mess up a little bit. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, learning that can go uh, that takes place when you mess something up. Uh, I'm not I'm not telling you to uh, throw the mission, okay? But um, where where your subordinates can make mistakes and um, learn from those, allow that to happen. And yeah. I think that's exactly what T. E. Lawrence was talking about. That's fantastic. Absolutely. So, uh, so just kind of recapping here, we did blame shift, we did lackey, egotistical, micromanage, uh, and then, okay, work with me here, I needed an I, <laughs> but it's inability to keep your word. 
Yeah. So obviously I've could have, you know, I just didn't have the thesaurus, the thesaurus available that day, but uh, this is somebody who just can't keep the word. What I mean by that is uh, they, they're not honest, right? Yeah. So this reciprocal of an integrity issue, maybe they promise you some time off. Maybe they promise that, uh, you know, X, Y, Z is going to happen and it doesn't pan out. Right. And so you can't really trust this guy. Right, they they uh, no, it deserves they talk a good game. No, it deserves a standalone um, section because we talked already about the fact that blame shifting is kind of a you know can be related to integrity. But yeah, this is important. I mean, yeah. you you have to be worth your word um, as a leader. Yeah, and and you know sometimes you got to put out the information that's not popular. So but go some, ahead and do it. Yeah, absolutely. So something that uh, you know I learned as a father, I have two grown daughters and now I have a granddaughter, uh, is you make few promises. I mean, if you're going to make a promise, you better keep that promise. Yeah. Uh, your word is your bond. So uh, I'm 50. You know, I'm still a young man. Uh, but something my father taught me that was taught his, by his father is your word is your bond. If your word no- means something, you mean nothing. It's, it's funny because, I mean, uh, I'm going to tell you what comes to mind. Okay. Um, you know, neither one of us are big fans of Disney. Okay. I, yeah. I think, I think they groom children. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because <laughs> you were talking about, well, I'm taking my, my, my daughter, my granddaughter down to Disneyland, you know, Disney world. Yeah. And I was like, dude, I mean, how can you go to Disney now knowing that these guys are, you know, this is yeah. a, an absolutely. I had to take one for the team. <laughs> crazy freaking, yeah. uh, corporation that's really gone bad. Unfortunately. That was kind of like my last trip. Yeah, I know, but you were kind of like, this is what you told me. <laughs> Yeah. You said, well, I made a promise. Yeah, I did. And I'm going to tell you right now, I couldn't, you know, you can't argue with that. Yeah. Because when you tell your granddaughter you're going to go do something, go do it. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Later on, we got some information that, you know, probably today you probably wouldn't have gone there. You probably would have gone to some other amusement park. But here's the deal. You know, you told your granddaughter she was going to Disney World. Yeah. (laughs) That's where you went. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, I look back at all the leaders that kept their promises you know they said hey you know we get back we're gonna get this time off we're gonna have a four-day pass whatever it is yeah you you want to go for broke to make that happen so uh i think um under promise just be a strict yeah under promise (laughs) over deliver deliver. absolutely absolutely so then uh self-control uh so this is really a toxic you know leader obviously is uh the toxicity toxicity Mm -hmm. is lack of self-control uh, obviously, uh, self-control is really important yeah, for emotionally uh, unhinged guy. Yeah. The, um, other, the other thing I think uh, I'm going to tell you what comes to mind with, with this too, Paul is the guy that, um, gets the first bit of information mm. and just, and just, he's on fire. Yeah. And it's like, dude, you haven't even gathered all the information yet. So yeah. he's already making a fool of himself. He doesn't even he hasn't heard, he hasn't gathered any information yet. He's, yeah. he's he's heard a little a little snippet of something, yeah. And this dude's freaking ready to you know burn down the house. Yeah, absolutely. Don't be that guy. Yeah, this is uh, we've seen that a guy throwing throwing chairs, throwing stuff, and uh, letting his uh, his anger get the better of him. Uh, and so this, uh, so I have written here, I'll just read this, uh, you know, a man who would wisely govern others must be able to govern himself. Yeah. Uh, and that's the idea is, uh, you know, a leader is, uh, you're not just, I'm not saying a leader is a manager, but in some sense, a leader is managing some things. You're managing men, 
Managing, managing people. Managing your emotions. You're managing your emotions, too. So, uh, you know, what goes hand in hand with this is uh, we, we often talk about this emotional intelligence. Uh, this is, you know, hey, you know, this, and you recognize it for it is. And you recognize you're really pissed, but you repurpose the anger. You know, this is, this is a stoic concept, but you repurpose that negative emotion. And then also, it can, it's okay to be pissed, but you keep it under control. Right. You know, you don't want to become unstable, right, and uh, unhinged, untethered. Uh, and I, you know, I'll just dime myself out for this also. Uh, you know, one morning, you know, any of my friends, former teammates out there listening, uh, they were supposed to have, it was a range day. So a lot of things going on with the range. It's early in the morning. We're going to have, you know, uh, go down to the, get your ammo loaded, get the trucks ready. Anyway, I come in and the stuff's not ready. And so I kind of flip my script and I kick a garbage can, which had some old beer bottles in it. And those things went sailing across the room and people, they saw it splattering everywhere. And I just felt like a tool. You know, at the moment I thought that would be awesome. You know, I will kick this garbage can and be feel really good and make a point, but I really just made myself look like an idiot. And I lost uh, some cool points, which I had to pick up. And I actually picked that stuff up because I don't want to have somebody else pick up my mess. Anyway, it was just, it was bad form. Yeah. And uh, I think the, uh, honestly, looking back, I don't think losing my crap was ever worth it. Uh, and I'll tell you why. Because I can calmly place a red dot on somebody's eye orbital area, upper thoracic chest, take the slack out of the trigger, and see you later, homeboy. That's, we don't need to be pissed. Purely out of profession. Yeah, it's just, it's just professional. It's just professional, man. I don't need... It ain't personal. Uh, now, look, uh, you know, I'm a civilian now, but that's the idea is, right. I don't, you know, if, if you're pissed off and angry, you're going to shoot crappy anyway. So that's just right. as an example. Uh, so... If you're pissed off and angry, are you going to be thinking straight? Yeah, you take know? a little time if you need it. Yeah. yeah, step away from it unless it's yeah. uh, unless it's time you know time sensitive. But yeah. generally speaking, you know, most most of these instances, you have some time yeah. to kind of gather yourself a bit. Now, I wanted to talk about this also. There's a, it's a known uh, psychological construct. It's really that these emotions are judgments, and it's it's about six seconds. They say it's six seconds when something happens and you interpret something has pissed you off so much, it's, you, you've got a circuit in your brain that lasts about six seconds. Mm. So if you can last like riding a bull, you know, to eight seconds, okay, then you'll, you're going to be a lot clearer. You're going to be clearer if you yeah. can just do something else for eight seconds. And usually you can do that then you're going to go ahead and sh you're going to uh, short circuit uh, this ingrained uh, reaction and you can repurpose this toxic anger. Because you know, anger is good. It's okay to be angry, but not sin. That's the idea. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong with anger. I, I guess what, one thing I've learned too is you know, don't always believe what you see. Don't always believe what you hear. Yeah, you could be interpreting this you could wrong. Be, it could be an interpretation issue. Yes. And that's really what it is. Uh, or somebody's straight up just manipulating you. That's true. Uh, most psychologists, they say that, uh, and I think this is true, is 
um, you know, anger, and just look at, I'm just picking on anger here for a second because this goes hand in hand with self-control, is uh, anger is a defense mechanism uh, where you've, you think you've lost ground and you've got endorphins that kick in. Now, sometimes this is good to go. You know, somebody is attacking your family. You need those endorphins. You need to be as calm as you can, but you need to do what you got to do uh, to be the one-man PSD. Yeah. Now, now, at other times, uh, the idea is it's, it's just a, it's a judgment call. So you're, somebody has cut you off in traffic. I'll just use this because if you drive down Skyboro Road, you, you get pissed. You can't right. drive anymore in five lights, and you want to, like, pit someone off the road, yeah. right? Now, the thought has come to my mind at times, but that's just the idea because right. I think, oh, they cut me off. No, they did. They're texting. They don't even know that you're in the lane. They don't even know you exist. <laughs> exactly. They're in their own little world, man. Yeah, and then, of course, the other part is, you know, what do they got going on? Yeah. You know, they just find out his wife's cheating on him. They yeah. just get, you know, fired from a job. I mean, does he, yeah. does he figure out he hasn't got enough money to pay for, you know, Biden's, you know, high fuel prices? I mean, you know, yeah. who knows? Yeah. So, having, you could be having a bad day. So self-control is always, you know, the best way to go, as they say. And, uh, you know, you, if you can't govern yourself, you know, how can you really expect people to follow you? That's the idea. Uh, and so I have another quote here from uh, Charles Martin, uh, a leader who cannot control his emotions of anger, excitement, etc., or who is swayed by his impulses of vanity, egotism, ambition, or personal prejudices, cannot obtain the best results from others, nor give his own best service to the cause. So that's the idea. You control your emotions or they control you. Right. That's really it. So, you know, good leaders, they know... Uh, they, they recognize that, and they go, hey, I'm really super pissed, and they take those eight seconds because it takes six to get it kind of fully, you know, work through our system. So then hypocrisy. Um, this is kind of, uh, it, it seems convenient, and I actually worked on this acronym for a while, and then I, I think I did like a, I was really super happy when I found blemish, but uh, the idea with hypocrisy <laughs> is, uh, I mean, hypocrisy is so lame um i mean i hate it on all levels when you see it yeah you know whenever you see hypocrisy you you know you may not know how to spell hypocrisy but you can see someone who's hypocritical you know that that's uh and it's, well, we, it's ugly yeah and we you see it in um all aspects of life um in the corporate world um especially but even in the military uh, I witnessed uh, lots of hypocrisy. Um, you know, when you get to a certain rank, you know, the rules mm -hmm. don't apply to Yeah, do as I say, not as I do. Um, the rules are for thee, not for me. And, and one, of the things, um, one of the things I really loved about the Ranger Regiment um, was there was one standard for everybody. Yeah. That was from the RCO, the regimental commander, all the way down to the private that just uh, signed into whatever battalion. Uh, we all had to do the same ruck march, yeah. uh, you know, the, the same standard, same weight. Um, you know, everybody's gear looked the same. Um, and that, that, that was a big deal. You know, the PT standards, mm. everything. It wasn't like uh, once you got sergeant major, you know, you could, you, you know, you didn't have to worry about that stuff. Where I saw in plenty of other units, you know. Mm. Um, but that was one place. That's one thing I really um, could say that I really – admired about Ranger Regiment was 
uh, they made a concerted effort to make sure that there was um, the standards were enforced from from the top all the way down. Yeah, that's solid. So I wanted to uh, bring up one of my heroes, Major Richard J. Meadows, or uh, commonly known as Dick Meadows. Uh, this was an American warrior of the first level. Uh, he enlisted the Army uh, light about his age uh, and joined at 15. Uh, he's from West Virginia. Uh, his dates are 1931 and 1995. Uh, by the age of 20, he was uh, promoted to Master Sergeant. Uh, saw combat in Korea uh, and then uh, went, to, uh, went to the Q course uh, 1953. You know, that was brand new uh, 1952. Uh, was in 10th group, 7th group, and 8th group. Right, so he got around. Then I heard about something called Mac V. Sog. Went over there in 1965, uh, and you know it was a wild man. Uh, so from some of my reading, I found out about him that uh, he actually took some pretty good uh, pictures of uh, in the Ho Chi Minh Trail uh, to the point where he uh, took some artillery sights uh, off of some. Uh, NVA artillery pieces that he had snuck up to and got and then put them on uh, uh, General Westmoreland's desk. Uh, at, at the time, uh, if you didn't know, uh, guys, the Ho Chi Minh Trail is a major cog uh, for the Viet Cong to infiltrate into the south. The cog is a center of gravity. It's a center of uh, 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 physical and moral strength. Uh, the idea that he was doing such a great job, he was battlefield commissioned. Uh, in 1967. So here you go. You got a guy that's, uh, you know, he's a young uh, master sergeant. He's a young captain. Uh, and then he was the commander of the Ranger Corps uh, in 1970. Uh, and then there was uh, something called the Sante Raid. You guys have probably heard of that. It was in November 1970. He was handpicked uh, by Bull Simons uh, to be the assault team leader for Blue Boy. And Blue Boy was... Uh, a uh, 53 that actually purposely crash landed inside the compound uh, at the Sante prison. Um, you know, they, this is uh, just ballsy. Uh, now, if you, a little background of the Sante raid, and I just want to talk to you about how awesome Dick Meadows was and kind of how he wasn't any of these pitfalls. He didn't fall, fall into any of those. But the Sante raid, it was called Operation Ivory Coast, uh, it was executed the 21st of November 1970. Uh, what was going on there? Uh, they believed Intel uh, suggested that there were some POWs. Uh, what had happened is they had been moved because of uh, the river that was running uh, near it had been flooded. Uh, but they weren't sure if they'd been moved or not, but so they went ahead and executed. They also, I think, had uh, some other reasons. And one of them was uh, that uh, there was a new SAMS uh, mission uh, excuse me, Sam mis uh, missile uh, that was being fielded with the Viet Cong, and they had some advisors out there, Chinese, Russian advisors, and also uh, they're training the Cong up on these new surface air, air missiles. Uh, and I believe by talking to a guy named Lupiak, who is uh, no longer with us, but he was on the Sante raid, he led me to believe that they also went in primarily to find the, the the POWs, and secondarily, to go ahead and take out these instructors of the surface-to-air missiles 
at the uh, the south compound of the Sante prison. Right. And the reason why that was uh, these people weren't Vietnamese. Right. So it was very politically. Um, yeah. The, the Chinese and Russian, this is... Uh, you can't target... Yeah. You know, we weren't going to sit there and telegraph the fact that we were targeting right. foreign nationals that were doing training very inside sensitive. of Vietnam. Very yeah. sensitive. But they, they shall act... But they were, but they were yeah. very aware of them. You know, the U.S. Yeah. government was extremely aware of them, and, they, and it was a problem. And the long and short of it is, uh, they executed the mission. Uh, uh, Bull, uh, Bull Simons uh, landed in Greenleaf... Uh, red wine was another uh, helicopter. So you had red wine, green leaf, and blue boy. Uh, Dick Meadows was in blue boy. There were no prisoners, but he had the bullhorn and said, "Hey, we're Americans. We're here to get you out." They still cleared it. They still managed to. Uh, there were still some cadre there. Uh, you know, NVA cadre. This is in the north part of Vietnam. So they they waxed those guys, and then at the south uh, compound. In about five minutes, Simons in the Greenleaf, uh, those raiders, uh, they killed uh, 100 to 200 of the uh, Russian and Chinese advisors, uh, which sometimes uh, you would hear someone say that it was an NCO club, or uh, not NCO club, but an NCO course or something like that. But what I believe happened just by reading the other, uh, you know, uh, accounts. accounts of it, thank you, brain's not working, is uh, that these guys were advisors. Yeah. Uh, and as you said, this was a little bit sensitive, and they didn't want to just come out and say, hey, yeah, we're going to go in there and wax them. But they did. Uh, so in, in, uh, at, immediately following this raid, of course, it was, it was you know, the media passed it off as a debacle. Yeah. Um, but it was anybody, an expertly cl- uh, planned. Anybody that actually uh, studies this raid realizes yeah. it was uh, far from a yeah. debacle. Yeah, textbook. Um, actually, an absolute textbook and yeah. a very difficult undertaking. Yes. Uh, and, you know, I would love to go into it a little further, but it's beyond the scope of this. But yeah. the idea is uh, these guys practice this so many times. Uh, once uh, Greenleaf and Red Wine were able to just follow up and uh, land after they took care of these guys, uh, they landed at the other north compound and just followed. Uh, it sued and, and cleared the compound. Now, Dick Meadows was on this. Uh, and I just want to just kind of recap everywhere we've gone in this uh, uh, episode and just talk about Dick Meadows and why he was a great leader. Uh, because he didn't fall into these pitfalls. So one thing that comes to mind, if you read uh, Quiet Professional, and this is a great read, and I wish I had re- uh, read it. Uh, excuse me, I wish I had wrote it is he had a great mind for finding new ways of improving old tactics. He had a great mind of just saying, hey, what's a better way to do this? And when somebody had a good idea, he acknowledged it. And he said, that's a great freaking idea. And they would use it. And so he was a guy who could say, hey, look, I don't know everything, and I haven't arrived. Now, so when we, talk, we first started this episode, we talked about how a good leader never arrives. Right. He's always learning. Well, yeah, one of the things that I was not accustomed to in the military um, when I came over as an E6 from the infantry uh, into SF. So I'm sitting in my team room, um, and my team sergeant, Dan Holloway, had a big board. And uh, whatever the problem was, whatever the mission was, right, we, he'd write that down. 
And all of us are felt free to raise our hands and say, hey, what about this? What about that? And you had max participation. You know, all of us were, were throwing out you know, crazy bright ideas or maybe stupid ideas, okay? But all of them were written down. Mm-hmm. And at the end of that, we were able to kind of look at that and figure out taking a piece from everybody, really, uh, come up with a plan that uh, the team sergeant wouldn't have came up with. But it, it truly was a, a collective plan that all of yeah. us had some ownership in. And then, of course, when uh, Dan Holloway said, this is what we're doing, then that's what we were doing. Okay, you know, discussion yeah. was over. But um, that was a very um, – I, oh, I hadn't been – I hadn't seen that before. You know, it's usually like, you know, you know, you get told what to do and you go do it. Yeah. Uh, but that was kind of like what you were talking about, uh, and that was certainly a quality that Dick Motos possessed, was being able to really uh, manage the talent around him and really be able to pull in the good ideas. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I would have loved uh, to work for this guy. Uh, I didn't I didn't mention this, but uh, after his career, uh, after his retirement, uh, he was actually at the uh, – he was instrumental in setting up the unit, okay? Uh, he helped uh, uh, Charles, Charlie Beckwith stand up Delta. And then, uh, as I understand it, he was a ground branch guy in Tehran when the unit was doing Desert One, and he barely got out. Uh, but the guy had some stones. He was also used uh, Ross Perot and him did some stuff, and he rescued some guys later on. But, uh, yeah, he was a knowledgeable guy. He was never pompous, though. So this is a guy who had been around. He had done it, but he still had an ability to learn from people. Right. Even though he was a Mac V SOG, even though he had done this X, Y, Z, he always found a way to learn from somebody. Always a student. Yeah, always a student. Yep. Uh, also, something I loved about him and I gleaned from the book is, you know, he gave and received loyalty. You know, and that's uh, that's not the guy that's, uh, you know, the blame shifter, the blame shifter guy, the micromanage guy. This is a trust issue. This this leader doesn't trust you, doesn't want to, uh, you know, enable you as a subordinate to be uh, a leader, right? I mean, something that we do uh, that the Russians don't do is mission type orders. Uh, you might have heard of that before. It's a it's a concept uh, in our army. You know, we give somebody five Ws to execute the mission, uh, and that way we don't have to have generals on the front line getting schwacked. Uh, and that's something that uh, uh, Dick Meadows obviously followed, is uh, he, he empowered others. Uh, he's always quick to recognize good work and good talent, and he's quick to commend it. And so this was, wasn't the guy that, uh, you know, this was, uh, he was not the egomaniac. It wasn't all about him. Yeah, you so, got, and, and another thing too, you know, uh, you gotta be able to take criticism. Yeah. Uh, and I think um, we appreciate a leader that can do that. You know, if, you, if you've done Absolutely. something, you know, if there's something you need to work on, you appreciate it when somebody, uh, number one, cares enough about you to actually bring it to your attention. Yeah. Um, and then you need to uh, assess it. And if it's true, yeah. take ownership of it and say, yeah, thanks, you know, and, uh, and, and be able to uh, make adjustments. Yeah, be mature enough yeah. to say, yeah, that's, that's a valid point. And, uh, you know, hey, taken, that's good. Uh, and all, you know, like mediocrity, right? So, so these days, mediocrity is, uh, I think, the order of the day. 
You know, I think we can just go ahead and say that. The jury is back in, and mediocrity is the order of the day. So just meet the minimum bare standard. Good to go. You showed up. You got a pulse. What's your beret size, right? Uh, that's that's kind of where we're at. Well, that was not in his thesaurus, his personal thesaurus. He was not a mediocre guy. He didn't do the bare minimum push-ups and then got up. Okay, good to go, 70%. Right. No, the guy did his best all the time. Uh, something that I have learned about him is also uh, the fact that his he was like a uh, a personal magnet. So the guy just commanded respect. He had presence. But he didn't have to always remind you, hey, I'm in charge. Hey, I'm in charge. Yeah. Now, we've, we've probably been around somebody like that. They always have to go out of their way to tell you that they're in charge. It's like, all right, is this, is this for your benefit or mine? Right. Right. It's probably for the, you know, the former. But he didn't do that. Uh, the training he gave. So uh, I love this also. It's brought into the book, uh, Quiet Professional, uh, that he, and I need to look up the name of the, the guy who wrote this book. Maybe you could do that for me, Mike, as I'm talking. Yeah. Uh, but he, the training he designed was detailed, realistic, and challenging. And so he thought this through. He thought through the training, uh, and then it had a purpose. It wasn't just, you know, for, uh, you know, it always had a, uh, a mission-oriented type of goal in the training. So it trains you fight. Yeah, Schoomaker. Right. Pete, Pete Schoomaker. Right. An- another exceptional leader, by the way. Uh, you know, he trusted his men, always kept them well informed, right? Uh, you know, here's the... The idea is, you know. Oh, I'm sorry. Alan Ho is the author. There you go. Alan Ho. Thank uh, you. Pete Schoomaker did the uh, forward. There you go. So Alan Ho and then Pete Schoomaker, the yeah. former uh, four-star. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, the idea that I think that made um, Dick Meadows such a great leader is, I think this is the way I say it, is he tethered audacity with prudence. So the guy did some ballsy stuff. I mean, the guy was on the Ho Chi Minh Trail. The guy was in Tehran. The guy did uh, crazy stuff, but it was prudent. It was prudent risk. So he didn't risk his subordinates for something uh, just to make himself look good. It was a it was a purpose behind what he did. Uh, in the book, highlights uh, uh, a case in point where he actually, in order to get a good photo uh, of some uh, Viet Cong on the Ho Chi Minh Trail who were sitting on the trail, he shimmied up a tree. And it took him hours, and he took a picture uh, from above of these guys, you know, taking a break on their way down south. And then he thought, "Oh man, now I'm stuck in the tree." <laughs> yeah, that's ballsy. <laughs> but you know, you know, this is something—a guy uh, cut from the same cloth as Robert Howard. You know, the same type of guy. Yeah. But uh, so, you know, with this little bit of time I have left, let me just ask you, as our listener. Um, if you, as you evaluate your own leadership potential, do you have one of these pitfalls? Uh, do you have one of these? If you do, uh, are you man enough to uh, acknowledge it? Uh, are you able to use the ideas of others? Uh, can you accept criticism uh, without taking offense? Are, are you overly sensitive uh, and rush to defend yourself? Uh, how about this? Do you depend upon the praise of others to keep going? Right? Uh, can you anticipate how your words will be received? Do you have emotional intelligence? 
Uh, this is probably, that's as worthy of its own treatment. Can you understand how your words are being received? Uh, this goes back to what we talked about from uh, Aristotle, the three drivers of persuasion, ethos, pathos, logos. Uh, the pathos is, do you have an emotional intelligence to know, hey, I, I said that wrong. That yeah. didn't come out right. Let me restate that, right? Do, do, I, do I understand that? Um, or understand the emotional um, drivers. Yes. What, 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 uh, what's important to your, to your team? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but, I mean, hey, this is, uh, I think it's worthy of our time to, to read about leadership. Uh, we all, we should want to be good leaders. I mean, uh, if you're a father, you're, you're to be the leader of that family. Uh, if you are uh, any, if you're a leader, I mean, if you're an SF, let's just say, we'll just take this for an example. Uh, if you've made it to the qualification course, you're a leader. And you're expected to lead uh, a, a company size element. And so you got to be ready to do that. Uh, what is leadership? Leadership is the process of influencing others, providing purpose, direction, and motivation to accomplish the mission and bettering the organization. So bettering the organization is really not falling into one of these pitfalls. A lot of people can execute a mission, but they're toxic. And as soon as the mission's over, people want to jump ship. So the idea is don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. All right, Paul. Well, anyway, that's a, a good episode. I think uh, hopefully that our listeners yeah. will uh, will enjoy it as well. Um, I know I've I always learn every time we do you know an episode on stuff like this. Yeah, me too. Um, but anyway, we hope uh, you enjoyed today's episode of the Pine Lander Podcast. Uh, if you enjoy our content, we hope you'll check out our sponsors. Blacksmith Publishing has been serving the warrior class since 2013. Uh, we have great titles written uh, by warriors for warriors. Uh, so you can go to blacksmithpublishing.com and uh, check out the uh, the bookstore. Uh, also, if you're looking for some cool apparel or some stuff that you just can't find anywhere else, uh, head on over to uh, the general store. That's at pinelander1776.com. And uh, got shirts, hats, jackets, sweaters, stickers, patches, and a whole lot lot more. Uh, that's, uh, that's the pinelander1776.com. If you're interested in helping develop our country's next generation of warriors, uh, consider donating to the American Agogi Project. We have had some people uh, pledge uh, some money already to that uh, endeavor. Uh, we are serious about it. Uh, we think it's uh, well past time to uh, start uh, uh, doing something for our, our youth and uh, getting them uh, ready for the challenges that they'll face in the future. So until our next meeting, remember to keep your head on a swivel, stay mentally and tactically smart, physically and spiritually strong, and socially astute. And to each other, we pledge our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. God bless Pineland.